Hey, good morning to you. You look just a little sleepy. Are you all right? Happy New Year. Let's try that again. Happy New Year. All right. I am delighted to be back after a week of vacation with the family. It would appear that the church grew in my absence, which means I might ought to take out, head out of town more often. Um, I'm not sure. I'll tell you that it is so reassuring and life-giving to know that when you take off, your Sunday morning doesn't struggle. And we just have the best folks that come around and continue to share the gospel. And uh, how many of you love stress-free vacations? How many of you have never had a stress-free vacation? I get it. Hey, tonight is our all-church vision night for the Cornelius campus. We had two of these scheduled the first of which would have been last Tuesday, and the good Lord had it, that a fierce squall arose, and the wind began to blow, and the rain began to come down, and there was localized flooding and interstate closures and tornado watches and warnings, and even sadly, I read a death in the Statesville area. And we waited as long as we could. I wanted you to know uh, to cancel that night because we had been planning for that night and preparing for that night and prayerful toward that night for several months' time. And as you know, if you err on the side of grit and elbow grease and decide we're going to plow forward with this thing, the thought was some sweet senior saint who loves his or her church family comes out and on the way home hydroplanes into the ditch and I did not want that on my conscience or that reality on some family and I'll tell you of course if you err on the side of safety you inevitably have people showing up who didn't get the notification of the cancellation and you're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. Yes, that is a euphemism for those who may have been unaware. And of course, within an hour of canceling, it was so gentle and nice out, I could have flown a kite outside of this building. But glory to God, 14 out of the 15 cars that did show up the people were gracious and kind and understood that our entire leadership team stayed to greet them in person, to kindly let them know that they would need to bide their time elsewhere. And so if you would all pull out your cell phone this morning, what I'm going to do is give you the name and contact information of the person in the 15th car And we're going to all send them a word of encouragement. I do hope you come out tonight at 630. 
Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to read the word to you. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Everybody thinks the pastor needs to baptize. That's not always the case. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And when he had to go through Samaria, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about lunchtime. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone. They were not there. They were in town buying food. And so the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Apparently, the, the woman is very religious, very devout. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Well, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And he said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. In other words, you just told me a story about me. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replied, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers, the true worshippers, will worship the Father in spirit. And in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. Did she get it? Not yet, apparently. 
right? When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning as we look at the spiritual discipline of worship, that we will fully understand what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we are not here to be entertained. We are here to be transformed into your likeness. Lord, would you move upon us in power? Would you change us? Would you have us walk out differently than the way in which we came in? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're in a series at Grace called uh, Disciplines. And one of the all-time classic books on the spiritual disciplines, if you'd like to write this down. In fact, it's the book where I got the idea to do this series to start the year off. It's a book by Richard Foster, who is of the Quaker tradition. He's in his 80s, and the book is entitled Celebration of Discipline. According to Richard, there are 12 disciplines, although there could be more or less, depending on who you ask, who you talk to, and what you call a discipline. And if you were here with us on New Year's Eve online. Just, I'm just curious, how many of you were with us on New Year's Eve online? Okay, maybe 30 to 40 percent, I would guess. Uh, I would say to you, that's worth the note, so thank you for participating. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, there are other disciplines that we looked at on that day, like meditation and, and, and uh, solitude and fellowship which, uh, if I recall, is not one of Richard's 12. So I don't want you to get hung up on Richard or hung up on the 12. I just want you to know that spiritual disciplines are habits to form us into Christ's likeness and that we ought to be pursuing them. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of these, one this morning being worship and next Sunday being confession. And by corporate disciplines, because these are corporate disciplines, we mean disciplines that affect what we do together on Sunday mornings. Worship, I will start off with this, is often confused with singing. Now, I love to sing. You may or may not know this about me. My wife will tell you this. Did you know that the things that you love about your fiancé, you end up detesting about your spouse? She loved that I sung when we were engaged. Okay? Not so much anymore. I love to sing. I actually have a, a master's degree in sacred choral conducting which I have rarely to never used. <laughs> Nonetheless, I love classical music. I love classical choral music. I love music from previous generations. I love hymns. Hymns are among my favorite of Christian songs, not so much due to the music, but due to the, the text. 
But I will tell you that there is a difference between singing, which many of us love, and worshiping. Singing is actually, I believe, yet another Christian discipline. But while singing can lead to worship or flow out of worship, singing is not worship. Uh, one or, uh, person who I can't recall quipped this. We tell more lies in the songs that we sing than in the words that we say. In other words, we make pretty bold claims on a Sunday that we have a really hard time ringing true on a Monday. Simply singing about Jesus is not worship, although it may inspire worship. So if worship isn't a playlist on my iPhone, and if worship is not a group of co-ed college students gathered around a campfire with an acoustic guitar, and worship is not a concert by Phil Wickham or Brandon Lake, and it isn't four songs with a tag or two, and it isn't even outstretched hands or uplifted heads, what on earth is worship? Worship is treasuring God. Worship is prizing God. Worship is enjoying God. Worship is being deeply satisfied with God. Worship is when our minds and our loyalties and our wills are centered on himself as the object of our affection. Worship is when we humbly, with deference, magnify him. We lift him high, we bow down low. Worship is when we're moved to reverential acts of homage and submission like bowing, which I saw some folks do this morning as we sing and praising and shouting and clapping and praying and the lifting of hands. But worship is not rote. Worship ought not to happen because someone else did those things. Worship ought not to happen because there was a loud downbeat. Worship occurs in the light of God's goodness and faithfulness. And we can't help but to be undignified. Because we're so enamored or wowed by God. In other words, we can't help but lift him high. We're not thinking about lunch. We're not thinking about the news. We're not even thinking about football. We can do that after church. But not in the sanctuary. We're not thinking about, we're thinking about God. We're focusing on him. Psalm 95, 6 says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
Church family, the discipline of worship is an essential practice for every believer. And it is not synonymous with putting on your best and showing up. Worship is necessary for knowing God. The athlete or singer who, who wants to excel must be trained in breathing skills. I never learned this. That's why I can't run fast. But people who can learn to breathe right. It's a skill you acquire. And worship is no different. It takes discipline to master it. After all, at the root of discipleship is what word? Discipline. Right or wrong, the same gym that will be full in January will be empty in March. I don't know if you know this or not, but 67% of gym memberships go entirely unused. Now, we're a little more fit around the lake. So our percentage may be like 57%. Nonetheless, nationally, two-thirds of people don't fulfill a gym membership. They let it lapse. It goes unaccounted for. I'll tell you, sometimes I wonder what percentage of church memberships go unused. What percentage of people either don't come... Or they show up and go through a ritual religious exercise. Or they attend, disengaged, and leave disengaged. Church family, in the same way, you cannot plop down on a lawn chair in the middle of a gymnasium and watch other people work out physically you cannot come into a sanctuary and plop down and watch other people engage with God spiritually and receive any kind of benefit whatsoever. Worship is when we engage God. Worship is when we ourselves are in all of his splendor. A.W. Tozer said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Let me ask you something. Do you see worship as something that just happens? Or do you see it as a discipline that you can actually grow in and put thought toward and get better at. Because a pastor can instruct people to bow their heads in prayer. A pastor can tell you to take the elements. A pastor can ask you to stand for the reading of the scriptures as we did this morning. But I cannot summon you to adore Jesus. I cannot implore you to flame reverence in your heart for the Lord. To lie before him prostrate, to bow, to kneel, to lift hands, to verbally shout his greatness, his honor, his position. 
Matthew 14, 13 tells us that the disciples that were in the boat with him worshiped Jesus. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. Worship, notice, was a choice. Worship is an action where you put your focus on the Lord and the disciples in the boat verbally acted to give worship directly to Jesus. I'll tell you there are at least 13 Greek and Hebrew words for worship in the Bible. And those words emphasize some form of action toward an object of adoration. It sounds too simple, but it can keep us from simply going through the motions of religious duty if we consciously tell ourselves, I'm going to go to bed early, I'm not going to listen to ACDC when I wake up, and I'm going to go to church and anticipate an encounter with the living God. When you have your daily devotions, acknowledge, I'm here to worship. Lord, I'm here to acknowledge you. When you're attending a service at Grace, I'm here to worship. You know, during the week, we are so tugged on and pulled away from God. How beautiful that the early church set it up, that we're going to show up on Resurrection Sunday and no matter our level of distraction or obstinance, we're going to be there and we're going to be together corporately lifting the name of the one who's over it all. Drawing us back to him on a regular basis. Hebrews 10.25 says, on that note, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up, what, what is he saying? Church attendance. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice he didn't say condemn one another. We're not condemning anybody that doesn't make church attendance a priority. We want to encourage you to meet with God and his people. It's life-giving. And no matter how strongly one tries to justify staying away from corporate worship, God does not recognize the rugged individualism of people in the West. We grew up with Westerners. Well, some of us grew up with Westerners. My grandpa's favorite was John Wayne. John Wayne, yes or no? Was he a rugged individualist? You'd better bet. And all of us, our whole lives have been trained. You've got to do this for you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, it's the community of faith whereby we are changed. What are you doing when you're coming to church? You're choosing to value God over anything else that could be happening on a Sunday morning. Including, I will tell you this, and I'm not going to harp on it long. I've beat it to a pulp in years past in ministry. But what is up with people doing all of this 
traveling for sports. Man, we existed for hundreds of years not doing sports on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Yet sports are competing with the loyalty to God and his people. I had a dream. None of my boys liked wrestling. I'm still miffed about that. But I had a dream that I would raise up a son who was a state champion who had never attended a Sunday on a tournament weekend. Who'd taken forfeits in the victory laps of that tournament out of devotion to God and out of the repelling of the world and still win. Whether or not that's selfish to want that is your call to make. You're also choosing to recognize God's honor as worthy of action. Think about when you attend a funeral or when you attend a birthday party or when you attend a wedding. You're there because presence is powerful, right? Presence speaks something. What are we saying when we tell the Almighty in heaven that we're just cool missing this? Frequently. You're also acknowledging God's position as being higher in authority than your own. You're saying, I'm not A1. Lord, you're A1. My agenda is not most important. Your agenda is most important. I'm not top shelf. You're top shelf. I'm not creme de la creme. You're creme de la creme. You call the shots. It's the first time I've ever had somebody say shot caller. Amen, in response to a message. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Grace Covenant is an amazing place. And we have so many here who serve. In fact, we're going to talk about service in two weeks from now as a Christian discipline. Our mission statement is love God, serve God others, but we can never forget that the serve others comes after the love God. Loving God is most important. One grave temptation, in fact, is that we all will run around doing service without ministering first and foremost to Jesus himself. That was whose mistake in the New Testament? That was Martha's mistake. When Mary sat at his feet and worshiped, she's busybodying in the kitchen because the Lord's there after all. And I need to be impressing him and I need to be doing. And Jesus says, You've missed the better portion. Mary found it. So let me speak to every one of our faithful volunteers this morning saying the divine priority, as much as we love your service 
And as much as I hope that you don't quit after I say this, <laughs> the divine priority is to worship first, then serve. Worship like Mary, then serve like Martha. Service flows out of worship, but service as a substitute for worship is merely idolatry. Because who can argue with a guy who shows up in an orange shirt that he loves Jesus? Who can argue that the people in the parking lot love Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, we don't examine them fully. We don't put them into accountability groups before they put their walkie-talkies on their ears. They are some of the most amazing people on the planet as long as they're worshiping in spirit and in truth first. Worship cannot be compartmentalized into four hours of service on a Sunday and then hold back from God in other areas of our lives. I believe God is saying this, and, and I've picked on our servers here, but the reality is many of you volunteer all kinds of places. This is just as much for you. But for someone who might serve at Grace faithfully, I feel like God laid this on my heart. I know I have your hands, but I want your heart. I want you to return to me with your heart. God is desiring people's hearts. In fact, what Jesus said at the well in John 4 has resonated throughout the ages in Christian teaching and is fundamental to our understanding of worship. Jesus said, listen, there's something more important even as much as I've belabored the point today than corporate worship. There will be a time when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in the temple. Church family, as much as I'm an advocate for church attendance, there will be a time where you don't worship the Lord in this sanctuary or at East Lincoln or in Clanton Hall. We must take every area of our life and ask, okay, I worship in spirit. Am I worshiping on Monday in spirit? Am I worshiping in the office? Am I worshiping in my parenting? Am I worshiping in my praying? Am I worshiping in my recreating? Am I worshiping in my resting? Am I worshiping on the Sabbath day by blocking out everything else? Am I daily recognizing God's greatness and place of honor and high position in my life. And this is the kind of self-analysis that takes practice. The application is endless. Gosh, what an excellent habit you put in your life to be conscientious about worshiping. Think about this. If the woman at the well would have left the proverbial worship service with Jesus and applied the truth that Jesus gave her, she would have recognized that she needed to broaden her worship beyond the temple and even into her relationship with men. 
she needed to repent of whatever she had idolized incorrectly and change her behavior and honor the Lord. And that does not happen when we sing songs, but that happens when we worship him. The Lord moves on our consciences and changes us. It isn't about even a three-point sermon. And just to demonstrate this, I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't had a main point yet. It isn't about high liturgy or low liturgy. It isn't about expressions and forms. It isn't about three songs or four. It isn't even about standing for God's word or not, although I have strong personal preferences, as I know you do. It's about entering into the presence of the Holy One. Acknowledging his greatness and viewing ourselves as low and submitting to his authority and power unto life change. As a worship team prepares, or maybe I should say as the band comes out, I don't think we'll ever get the worship word out of perhaps not the best usages. The vernacular is embedded too deeply. But I'm going to ask you to do something particular, maybe even peculiar. And instead of singing along and worshiping in the traditional charismatic sense that we are so accustomed to and enjoyed beautifully this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your half page and journal about areas of your life where you are not adoring God. Maybe you need to adore God in the way that you speak to your kids. Maybe you need to adore God by staying sexually pure or getting out of a cohabitating relationship until marriage. Maybe you need to adore God by examining how you spend and how you budget. Maybe it's by stepping into service or out of service. Maybe you need to adore God by fasting and beginning to exercise or implementing a Sabbath day of rest where you say no to much. Maybe you need to adore God by scheduling a time of prayer. Maybe you need to adore the Lord by going to bed early on a Saturday night. Just like when students take a big test, they go to bed early. And when folks give a big white-collar presentation, they go to bed early. Do you go to bed early before basking in the presence of God on a Sunday? Do you rely on showing up at the last minute or do you arrive a few minutes early anticipating an encounter with the Holy One? And if you can't think of anything in this time, just journal about God's character 
and the ways in which he's been good to you. And then we'll have you stand about two-thirds of the way through this song. God bless you as you journal. And he 
Hallelujah. How many of you are going to come back next Sunday in spite of what I foolishly did in telling you we were going to talk about confession? How many of you know we want to give God all of us, even the dark places, for his light to pierce through it and make us anew? Amen? If our prayer teams could make themselves available, and if you have any other need this morning, we'd love for you to come down. Listen, people are healed at this altar. People find freedom from addiction at this altar. If God has uh, laid on your heart to come forward for prayer, these folks love you. They want to serve you in this capacity. So allow them to really excel in their giftedness by ministering to you. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, I pray for every need represented in this room, which I'm sure are vast, Lord, and we don't know all of them, but you do. And so we entrust, Lord, our sins and ourselves to you, our Savior, and we worship you. We're grateful for you. We idolize you and no other. There is one God who is true. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. And we trust you to continue to work in us and through us according to your purposes. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.